I was making dough the other day and I noticed something extremely different. I recently started using Cordo olive oil and now my dough smells so, so good. At the end of the day, olives are a fruit and much like fresh squeezed orange juice, you should be able to smell and taste the freshness in your olive oil. If you're tasting something like bitter, kind of nasty, not bright at all, you gotta stop using that rancid grocery store olive oil and you gotta get with Cordo. Use the link in the show notes to get yours today and start making next level pizza. If there was anything that I did to control any of that, it was just unapologetic obsession and allowing myself to dive in. What's happening? What's good, dough? It's your boy, Idrif. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, in case you're wondering. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This podcast is all about leveling up your pizza game. And today, we level up our pizza game through a conversation with Scott from Scott's Pizza Tours. We talk a little bit about his pizza origin story, including the magazines he read about pizza growing up and the time he spent in the library that helped him build his pizza tour business. If you're someone who loves pizza, but doesn't necessarily want to open up a restaurant, or if you're just a fan of Scott and his contributions to the pizza community, this show is for you. Before we continue, I want to give a huge shout out to our show sponsor, Uni. Last Sunday, I finally got around to making a tavern style pizza on the Uni. I cranked my oven up to 750 degrees, launched the pie, and then turned the heat off. The result, a beautiful cracker thin pie. What I love about the Uni is that their ovens are so versatile. They can get to 500 degrees Celsius or 932 degrees Fahrenheit to cook those beautiful wood-fired charred looking pizzas, but you can also do so much more with them. Check out the link in the show notes and get yours today. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And remember to always ask, what's good, Doe? Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I am awesome. It's such an honor to be here. I'm a longtime listener of the show, so it's like a dream come true to be talking to you right now. Thank you for listening, by the way, and I appreciate your support, and I'm so excited to talk to you. And I want to ask you this one question first, though. What's good, though? Oh, man. The big question. You know, Idrif, you are what's good, though. The, the show. But I, let me explain myself because I know that this is, I love the question. And the question embodies what I love about you and the show, which is that you lay out this question, which is obviously kind of a pun of a question. And you say there's no wrong answer. So people can interpret it literally or figuratively. And I love that your show does that. You lay out this platform for people to highlight what it is they do, but also to learn as they're doing. You interview all these people who are in the beginning of their pizza journey or being a professional. And I just have to thank you for creating that kind of a platform because your pace and your voicing and the fact that you let people have this platform to explain themselves 
while also you push back on them when you feel like you have to push back. It's so genuine, and it's what I love so much about the pizza world. And so what's good dough is what's good dough. Thank you, Scott. That's <laughs> that's what's good dough. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. I appreciate the platform you've built. And I'm excited, so excited to learn more about you and just your pizza journey because you are one of the most, if not the most, interesting person in pizza. And you are a great example of what I love about the pizza pizza industry, pizza community, is that you don't have to own a pizzeria to live and love pizza. And so just to kind of tee things off a bit, I just want to ask you, how did you get started in this wonderful world of pizza? I got started in the way that all of us got started, which is that as a kid, you fall in love with this food. And much like everybody else who's into this at the level that you and I and everybody you talk to on the show is into it, we fall in love with the food as being more than just a food. It's something social and it's cultural but that it's not bonded to one particular culture. And so it's inviting and opening and non-exclusive. And I got into it by starting up this pizza tour company in 2008. And the way that that happened was I got really into pizza. <laughs> I was into pizza and as a kid in high school and in college. And then along the way, I just I became known as the person in the group of friends who was really into pizza. So if we were ordering pizza, it was my job because I knew how to count how many slices everybody was going to get and who needed what and which place we should order from that day of the week. And it just became my thing. And I took it really seriously to such an extent that my brother, John, signed me up for a free subscription to Pizza Today magazine in 2004 or 2005. And I started getting the magazine. And the magazine is a trade magazine. So the information I was reading was not a fan zine. It was information about dough and fermentation and how to uh, cool down your dough better and what's the difference between different salts. And it gave me this vocabulary for the industry so that when I started taking people to pizzerias on the weekends, not as a tour company, just as a person, I had this vocabulary that was sort of beyond what my friends had, and it was more in the realm of what pizzerias had. And so my question to a pizzeria would be phrased in a way that was not just a person saying, oh, how hot is your oven? I might phrase it in a different way, asking about, gee, I don't know, like the rate of conduction or something in their oven, whatever. And, uh, and that kind of snowballed. So people looked at me more as a person, a pizza expert, I guess. And then I started the tour company because so many people were asking me if they could join when I would take my friends for pizza on the weekends. So started the tour company in April of 2008, and that really entered me into the pizza industry because up until that time, I was reading Pizza Trade magazines, PMQ, Pizza Today. I started going to the trade shows for fun as a fan. 2006, Atlantic City was my first one. And uh, when I started the tour company, that's when the magazines took it more seriously. They started asking me to write things, and uh, then the rest progressed from there. Wow. 
I always hear about the people who just love pizza and were into it, right? And then I hear about your story and how you started the tour company 13 years ago, but I had no idea about the stuff slightly before that in the 2004, 2006 era. That's pretty cool. I mean, you were doing your research even before you started doing the tours professionally. Well, the tour didn't just happen because I found that there was a market to have a tour company. My dream was never about, oh, I want to run a tour company. It's The tour company is the medium to convey the information that I had been so interested in, which is why 2006, even before that, it's why I was reading the magazines at that time. It wasn't because I was researching for a tour company. The tour company happened because I had this information already in my brain. And it's the kind of thing where when you learn a little bit, like when you read the book that cracks open the doorway to a whole world of information, you get really excited about it. And for me, it was reading those pizza trade magazines got me really excited about that world. And when you were excited about it, you wanted to share it with others, right? But not in a way where it was like the way PMQ was um, writing it out, but you wanted to share it with others um, who are more the consumer or not the professional. You were kind of that bridge between the two. Exactly. I started as a tour company because I knew that I wanted to convey the information to people. And I didn't know what was the format, if it was writing a book or a blog or a video series. And all those things in 2008 were possibilities, but the blog, maybe not so much because I didn't really have dependable internet at the time, really didn't have any internet at the time. So the medium became, well, the tour is something that's living and breathing. It could change every time. You're not committing information to a page where then you're going to prove yourself wrong two months later. I like the idea that it could be living, breathing conversation, not lecture, not writing, which is pretty one way. I like the idea that as a tour format, it's a conversation with other people and a platform to share experience. And those other people, you are 100% correct, those other people that I wanted on that tour, they're other normal humans, civilians, not necessarily. Civilians. Pizzeria operators. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it's the people who don't stare at their pizza for for longer than three minutes. It's uh people who just, you know, pick up, pick pick it up and eat it. Yeah, I want the people who think of pizza as being something that you don't need more information about. I wanted people who love pizza but never considered anything deeper than do I like it or not. Because those are the people who, once you get them a little bit of information about the history of the science or the culture, that, that gets really exciting. It's a hook. It's not, I mean, I love getting pizza nerds on tours, but the more exciting is when you get somebody who will say after the first stop, you know, I'll never look at pizza the same way again, because my mind is already opened from our discussion about how this oven works, because so many people, it's enough to just say, oh, hey, I'm going on this pizza tour. Yeah, I hope they serve us brick oven pizza because everybody knows that's the best. End of story. San Marzano tomato, buffalo mozzarella, end of story. And then the tour is sort of like, well, wait a second. There's more to all those stories. 
why does it excite you so much to move that quote unquote civilian into a deeper understanding of knowledge versus the pizza nerd who is coming there who already knows more than the typical civilian? I think the primary reason I like it is because I so enjoy that experience of learning, especially when it's about something that I'm really into. So when I learn something more about how pizza works historically or scientifically or whatever, it gets me excited and I want other people to have that same experience. There's an endorphin rush when you learn something. And I love the ability to be able to share that and allow other people to have that. But that might be my primary, my secondary reason for it. And it might even be working its way toward primary these days. My secondary reason for it is Pizza is the kind of thing where you look at it and you don't need any more information about it to know whether you like it or not. You can't explain to somebody why they should like something. But the tour tries to give people objective information so they have a better context through which to understand it. So by looking at something like pizza, that you assume you already know everything you need to know, and then suddenly you start to think about it differently, and you start to think about it as a civilian. Maybe I'm not thinking about this enough. Oh, there's so much more than meets the eye. That's an experience that I really think is important for people, especially these days where, I mean, the big social commentary here is TikTok and Instagram and all these social media platforms. They, they want their users to, or they encourage their users to act like experts, which I think is weird. And I certainly don't like that. But once you get somebody to look at something as simple as pizza and then reconsider and decide that, oh, I didn't know that there was so much to know about this, then maybe you, they'll apply that to other things in their life, whether it be a chair or a wine glass or a, a map or a, a person, that if there's a bigger picture story to to realizing that there's more to understand about something that you once thought was so simple that required no more knowledge. Yeah, it, it gives people more of an appreciation for things uh, versus just judging it based off whether it was a good slice or not. Because sometimes those slices are inconsistent. And sometimes, you know, it could be good one day or not the other. But when you educate a quote-unquote civilian, you're encouraging them to be more open-minded and, and that ultimately helps out the person behind the pizza, right? I think so. I think that's what it is. It's about being more open-minded and with food, everybody wants to take the picture and, or make a snap judgment about whether it's great or terrible. And I love what you just said about a pizza can be great one day and then the next day the pizzeria might be off their game because they're walking lost power overnight, whatever happened. So you don't need me to take you on a tour to help you figure out whether you like something or not. It has nothing to do with subjectivity. I'm never going to say, today we're going to the four best pizzerias in New York City. I'm never, ever going to say that. We're going to say, we're going to four different places as a way to help you understand the, why they're different, how they came to be that way, and how you can use that information to be a better pizza consumer from this day forward. So that's, that's what it, it ends up being. It's, it's, let's get a better understanding of what this is. 
because so many people will assume, oh, you just get a dough and then you put stuff on it and you bake it. They don't think about fermentation and maturation of dough. They don't think about wheat uh, and flour milling. You know, they don't think about tomato cultivation and all these other details, the way an oven works, the, the way that a person's hands approach a dough. And for, for people who listen to your podcast and are in pizza, those are all the reasons that it's interesting and exciting. And for most civilians, they take those things for granted and they never think about those, which is why I get the question on every tour about, oh, gee, how do I make pizza dough? I mean, there's no, there's no short answer. <laughs> and I think that's why it's really fun to have a tour like this is the whole tour explains how to make pizza dough. And if I do it right, it will, it will end with people not necessarily having a recipe, but it'll end with people understanding what the mechanics would be that allow pizza dough to work and why there are variables and no straight answer. Just to, you know, point some point out something obvious is that you've built this great business and I want to ask you about it. Um, and I guess I want to point out the fact that you have built this amazing team and I think you're really good at that. Um, on a personal note, um, you've, worked with um, me and Sirhan and Christy to um, kind of build up Clubhouse. I've seen you work with Miriam. I've met Aaron. And so you're really good at kind of expanding your reach. And I wanted to ask you, when did you kind of notice that was important and how do you get good at it? Wow, it's really... This is a whole tough thing to even wrap my brain around. It starts with making a huge mistake when I started the business. And when I started my business, I was the most afraid of, of making any kind of declaration of expertise or saying that this was the be-all, end-all way to understand pizza in New York. And for that reason, I called it Scott's Pizza Tours because this is a way to say that this is my perspective on pizza. And at that time, I never thought that there would be anybody else ever running a tour under the name Scott's Pizza Tours. So when I realized that maybe I should have other people also running tours, uh, it was pretty easy to figure out what kind of person that should be. But I never planned on doing that. So the first people I hired, there's a woman named Joanne, was the first person I hired. Don't even remember where I found her. but. She had an interest in food and in understanding and uh, an endless curiosity. She would always ask questions and challenge me when I talked to her about things in pizza. And that's the kind of person that you want on a team because they're going to have that same excitement about educating people and not a weight on their shoulders where they're giving a tour and acting like they're some big expert and it just becomes a lecture where they're showing off. So that's why I hired people like a guy named Joe and Miriam. I hired them. They were my second and third people I ever hired. And they were both really interested in pizza. Miriam, obviously, from the moment I met her at John's Pizzeria in Greenwich Village, I met her and uh, I just thought, well, I don't think I've ever met anybody more excited and enthusiastic about pizza. But I also saw in her this excitement, but 
this need to get more information to be able to share that excitement in a positive way that wasn't just, hey, everybody look at how excited I am about pizza. And that's the kind of person that I started hiring. And in terms of all these other people with the clubhouse and uh, even people at just hanging out at Pizza Expo, I mean, like that's kind of the whole point of this. It's not to build yourself up as something. It's to expand the community of it because it's just way more fun. I've never had any interest in there being this small cluster of experts, which is why I, I'm fortunate enough to be in this position where people ask me to help put together articles and things, and it's always a great opportunity to be able to highlight other people and spread out that group of voices that are, that are in this whole world of it. That's why I like the clubhouse thing, because everybody can jump in and have their voice heard, and it really helps each other out, you know, just like your podcast. It's a great way to hear other voices. And those voices might inspire you to do something or it might open the door for something that you hadn't considered before. But I think that's the fun of it, isn't it? Absolutely. Why did you decide that your podcast would be interviewing people instead of just you talking about pizza for an hour every week? <laughs> it's, I was coming at it from... I am still coming at it as someone who wants to learn. And while I could have just done a bunch of research and spewed out information, I like the social aspect of it. I love just hearing your personal experience and it makes it much, it it makes it that much more fun. And isn't that what pizza's for? You know, it's a social food. It's, I think that's really, it's not going to be very much fun if I was still going to Pizza Expo with no other pizza nerds there hanging out with me. (laughs) You know what I mean? In 2006, when I went, I went with a friend who wasn't in the pizza industry and we just had a blast looking at it from the outside. And if I was still doing that today, I don't think I would still be going. Way better when there's a community. 100% agreed. Um, just because you have the insight, the rare insight of uh, someone who has gone in 2006. I don't know many people that have. What was it like back then, just out of curiosity? I'll have to send you this video. A friend of mine went with me. I, I don't think it was 06. It might have been 08 or 07. But a friend of mine, w- no, it was 07. And a friend of mine went with me and he recorded almost every sample of food that I ate. And he stitched together this video and it's just me eating free samples. And that's what it was. It was just free samples. Oh, they're making fresh mozzarella on the second floor in room 241. Let's go because then we're going to eat fresh mozzarella. It was way more about, for me, it was more about the food. What Pizza Expo was like back then was similar to what it is now, but I feel like it was kind of at the beginning of a lot of the Italians coming in. It was still mostly a, a big picture event. And not, I didn't feel like it was as many small, tiny, independent newcomers. It was more people who'd been there for a while. But also my perspective is totally different now. Back then I knew zero people. Now I know a lot of the people there. So it's a weird skewed perspective. But I'll send you that video and you'll see, and you'll see little baby Scott eating free samples of meatballs. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Um, and since we're on the topic, I just, you know, before we continue it on, I just want to see if you had a magic wand, what would you change 
or improve about Pizza Expo. And like no pressure. I know you're very close with everyone at Pizza Today and you probably, there's a good chance that you love it the way it is. But what would you change if you, if you had a magic wand? Oh, wow. There's always room for improvement. One thing I would love to change is the competition judging. I would love for there to be more standardization in how the judging works. I would love for there to be a lead judge who really led some instruction that all the judges had to go through so that, you know, even the way it is today, if you get a judge who's really harsh, they might call a bad pizza a two out of 10. And then there are some judges that are more lenient, and for them, a bad pizza is a six out of 10. And I feel like there needs to be some standardization with that. I think that there's, that there's not enough conversation about it. So the, the judging is the, the big thing that I would love to tweak. Cool. Thank you for that. Oh, I got more too, but that, that's the one at the top of my head. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, you know, just, do you want to share another one? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I don't know if I can think of one right now, but the bottom line is I do, I really do love pizza expo, but there are always things to change. And it's such a big beast of an event that it's hard to change those things quickly. I can already tell you right now, there's a competition that may be happening next year that hasn't happened before that's more geared toward judging somebody's ability to execute as a, as a pizza maker would on the job in a pizzeria and not necessarily just making one perfect pizza that one mm. time in a convention center. Interesting. But I also see some other things that are happening at Expo that are changing in a good way. I think there's more inclusion happening. This is an industry that historically has been very white and very male. And I see that that's starting to change. And hopefully it won't be long before organizations like the Women in Pizza organization won't have to just be separate, a separate event or a separate call out where it really will be more cohesive and more inclusive. And that that's just going to take some some time and, and getting there. Uh, I guess I'm thinking about writing a column about this for Pizza Today, but I'll, I'll I can mention it right now. I would love to remind people about some bigger picture things about inclusivity, and the main one would be outlawing the term "pizza guys" to refer to any pizza maker. I always hear the reference of, "Well, some guys do it this way, and some guys do it that way." And I would love for people to remember that it's not a pizza brotherhood. It's not some guys to be more inclusive with language. I want to thank you for kind of giving me the, the firepower to, to be more bold about that because you were the one who had suggested that we change uh, dough bros into something more inclusive. Um, and I regrettably, you know, noticed that months before you said it, but I was afraid to speak up. You know, I, I'm a very inclusive person. I try to say y'all all the time. I, uh, I work with children with special needs and we, you know, that's, that's kind of what taught me inclusivity is that we have to make a world for everyone. And so I want to thank you for, you know, being one of the first people that I've saw that I've seen speak up against that. And, and now I'm not going to let those, those little small details slip. We're, we're all the past couple of years have been really 
stark reminders uh, where before that, I think a lot of us hadn't been considering some of these terms. And so it's, it's okay to realize that if you're not using the term that maybe is the best one. And it's like, I, I think the more we remind people that it's okay, that you're not a bad person if you said Dobros, that it's fine. It's just something to think about. I think that's, that's the bottom line with all of it is we're all trying to figure it out and getting better with these kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Slow progress is still progress. Going back to, you know, things started to snowball um, earlier. And I wanted to ask, is there like one thing that kind of made that snowball just so large and you're just like, whoa, how did my life change into this? Or was it just a gradual kind of thing, growth over time? Well, we can't ignore the fact that there's a whole lot of luck involved. Because when I started doing this, I thought, okay, I work my buns off, I do the research that I can, I do whatever I got to do, and then everything will just work out. And of course, that's not the reality. The reality is, when I started doing this in 2008, that was really at a point where pizza was undergoing this transition from being something that everybody really liked to being something that people were really getting obsessed with. So when you say that I've been at this for a very long time, I know that I have not. I know that 13 years in the grand scope is not. John Arena has been at it for 112 years. You know, Tony <laughs> Gemignani has been at it for 30-something years. All, all these people in the business have been at it for a real actual long time. It, the difference is that from when I started getting involved to now has been a real uptick in public interest because of social media and regular media. There's been a lot of focus on pizza. So that's why I say luck. When I was born, when I was out of college, when I realized that the job that I picked out of college was not the one that was good for me long term, that's timing is really it. So I know it's a maybe hopefully not too annoying of an answer, but really it's the right place at the right time. And if there was anything that I did to control any of that, it was just unapologetic obsession and allowing myself to, to dive in. Because when I started the pizza tour company, really to me, it just meant, okay, well now it's a write-off if I am doing research. And, and I'm not talking about just, oh, I can spend more money on pizza because you need the money in the first place to buy the pizza, which <laughs> not so much the case when I started the business. It was more like, oh, I can go spend a day at the library doing research about pizza because it's for the benefit of the tour. And that's the stuff that got me excited anyway. So I think it's a combination of that lucky timing and also being unapologetically obsessed and allowing myself to, to take that obsession as far as I want it. What advice do you have for someone who maybe is obsessed but can't be unapologetic about it. Maybe they're afraid to dive into that obsession or make the obsession more public. My first piece of advice is to send me an email and we'll set up a phone call and then I'll talk to you for 20 minutes. And then after that, you'll probably feel better about <laughs> digging deeper into the obsession. Yeah, I'm serious. That happens all the time. People email me and they say, hey, I'm really into pizza. Do you ever want to meet up? And I might not be able to meet up, but I'll always say, well, let's get on the phone and talk about pizza. That sounds fun. But 
if that's not the, if that's not the kind of thing that you want to do with your time, then it's look always remember that the whole point of pizza is is it's fun and it's relaxed and it's casual. It doesn't require years of study and sommelier exams. You know what I mean? You don't need to go through all that for it. If you're really into it, there's plenty to do. And I feel like nowadays, it's very easy to dive into that. There's all these great books. When I started doing the tours, there was Peter Reinhardt's American Pie, My Search for the Perfect Pizza. Uh, there was Ed Levine's Pizza, A Slice of Heaven. There was Evelyn Sloman's The Pizza Book. And that was basically it for English language books about pizza. Now, you don't even have to be public about getting into pizza. You, you don't have to be on display all the time, like on Instagram. You can get a book and read it and have a good time. Go on pizzamaking.com. That's a great one. If you want to get into the pizza making aspect of it, you can spend a lifetime on YouTube watching videos of people making pizza, or at this point, even people talking about the history and all that. So I guess that's my answer is <laughs> there's plenty of stuff to do, but you can start off by just sending me an email and I'll, I'll, I'll talk you into it. Uh, I'll talk you out of being bashful about your obsession. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, I got to get that email from you and put it in the show notes. I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's unless, info at scottspizzatours.com. There you go. Done. Oh, there you go. You, you don't got to check this, the show notes for it. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, I, what I love about, I was just editing Sirhan's um, ins, dedicated Instagram post. And what I love about it is just the fact that you know, you don't have to own a pizzeria to be in pizza. You can do some of the cool things that you're doing. You can be an educator. You can even run a pizza podcast. And I, I am just curious, um, is, are you interested in owning a pizzeria? Hopefully that's a fair question. I love that question. And it's a question that I thought about a lot while listening to the Sirhan podcast, because it's a question that I get every day on every tour. And this is something I've talked to Sirhan a lot about, because I know the situation that he's in is his family had pizzeria for a long time. The obvious choice for him is, or from the outside, the obvious choice is, well, that's what you should do. For me, I lead these pizza tours. I'm really into pizza. But people every day will ask, well, when are you going to open your own? Or why don't you have your own pizzeria? As if owning the pizzeria is the pinnacle, the ultimate achievement of being a pizza lover. And I have to say very strongly that everything that I do in pizza is out of reverence for the people who own the pizzerias and are pizza makers, which would sound so silly to somebody who's listening to this from the outside but I feel like your listeners will understand that it's done out of reverence for those people. And there's no part of me that really has any interest in participating in the industry on that side. And that's because it's, it's not me. And I think it's not everybody. And you should be okay being a fan of football your whole life. And as a big football fan, I don't think it's a normal question for people to say, well, obviously, when are you going to, when are you going to go after the NFL? You know, like, I don't, like you're a big music fan, and I don't, 
I don't think people come up to you every day and say, so when are you going to learn how to play the accordion? I, I just, it's a funny thing where in pizza, we can only think of, well, you're going to own a pizzeria. Obviously, that's the only thing you can do. But it's 2021 right now, and it's not the only thing you can do. And, and I try to let people know that the thing that I do, that, that I try to do professionally, is highlighting and explaining to people what's happening in the pizza industry. And if I switched over to being an owner or an operator or anything, which I don't think I'm qualified for and also not interested, then you lose this. Like, I think the thing that I do is, is, has some importance to it because it helps broaden people's knowledge. So I have no interest in running a pizzeria. <laughs> That's such a great answer because I get that question a fair amount now. Um, because people know that I'm, I'm into pizza from family, from friends, like when are you going to open a pizzeria? And as I've explained on this podcast a few times, it goes back and forth all the time. And that's just, I guess, by nature of who I am, I'm very indecisive. Um, I'm happy to hear from people that, you know, are in it and, and have kind of absolutely put it down in the books that that's not for them. Well, I, I never say never, but I do think that you should feel comfortable knowing that there's that when, the way Sirhan talked about it when you interviewed him about how he feels kind of in between, kind of stuck. And, you know, I, I'm, I hope I haven't pressured him because there have been times I've called him and said, hey, there's this opportunity. Do you want it? Because I know he's in the middle and he's trying to decide where he wants to go. But I think if there's anything I can say to help comfort you, Idrif, it's to say the thing that you do is so important and necessary that I don't think that there's a higher level of participating in the way you do it besides continuing to do what you do in, in other ways. I don't think that owning, operating, managing, making pizza consistently, I don't think that's necessarily the higher level. I just think that that's, that's it's one part that you could do, but I hope it makes you feel comfortable <laughs> when I say you don't have to. I'm not doing that. Thank you. Is there a higher level for you in in your kind of profession of highlighting pizzerias and for the for the consumer and for the for the pizza maker? Is there a higher level than the tour or than what you're currently doing? It's a really interesting question. I don't know. I think I'm always discovering the higher level with the next project. So when I started doing tours, I couldn't imagine what the other project might be. So something like Slice Out Hunger, which started soon after I started doing the tours, I wasn't thinking about that on day one of the tour. And then once I started getting into that, I wasn't thinking about a book about pizza boxes or a web series about pizza. All those things kind of unveiled themselves because I've, I don't, and this is the, maybe the, my fatal flaw is that I don't do a lot of thinking in advance, meaning I don't have a five, 10 year plan, 15 year plan, whatever. I, because everything is changing so quickly, what I do know about the five, 10, 15 year is not what I want to be doing, but sort of how I want to be doing things. That's about it. So when something comes up, I can take the opportunity if it works. But I don't have like a real solid plan on it. All I know is with extreme focus and really 
being dedicated to whatever is the thing that I'm doing, like pizza education, that if an opportunity comes up that's right for me, then I feel confident enough right now that I'll find my way to it or it'll find its way to me and and something might work out if it's meant to to go that way. But I don't I don't really have a target on the like a greater level of it. Of course I would love to write a book pulling together all this information uh, as a as a pizza fan, not as a professional really. I would love to do that someday, but I'm also really it's hard for me to commit something to to print when history and all this kind of stuff I'm, I'm always proving myself wrong you know always getting better at it even with pizza making there's no point where i feel comfortable doing a definitive like this is my this is a dough recipe because you know <laughs> the dough recipe is going to be different based on what flour you're using or what oven and at this point if i wrote something like that in a book it would be so jumbled and confusing because i'm still at that point of of uh, like learning so much that i haven't yet I'm I'm not on the wave. I'm still on the surfboard getting tossed around by the ocean. Maybe when you've been in pizza 112 years, you'll finally know what to say because everything that comes out of John Arena's mouth is definitive. <laughs> well, I'm his writer. I write all his lines. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't tell him that. <laughs> I'm posting it. Um, you can actually. Uh, he would he would admit it first. <laughs> Um, you seem to, to be someone who's extremely busy and, and I'm sure a bunch of opportunities come your way. H how do you figure out which ones to say no to? And is there, um, a process that you, that you do to, to make your quick decisions? Cause you say that, you know, things are always moving quickly. So I imagine it's not like, Oh, thing, I, I imagine things just pop up and you're like, hmm, should I take it? Should I not? That's a good question, and I'm still trying to figure out that answer for myself. But I'll put it this way. I trust my gut, and so I know that if something just doesn't feel like the right thing, it, it kind of feels great sometimes to just say no and not have it rack your brain. I think if I spend too much time thinking about whether or not I should do something, that means no. If it's something that I'm really interested and excited about, then I'll want to say yes pretty quickly. But if I spend all this time pros and cons, then it's probably a no. And I think that I, I sp spent a lot of time saying yes, because I like doing these things. And it sort of depends on what's the outcome of it. So it's, if it's an opportunity for slice out hunger, there's greater chance that I'll say yes. If it's something that's more for me or for Scott's Pizza Tours, then that's where I hesitate a little bit more, because that's, they're, they're just different universes. But I think that the gut is pretty smart. And if you can put yourself into a trance and figure out what your gut's going to tell you when you clear your mind of everything else, then yeah, it's not all that complicated. Also, you know, remember uh, with all this stuff, you know, we're, we're on the planet a limited amount of time. Use your time wisely because that's the most important and most valuable thing you have. So if, if doing some annoying sounding reality tv show thing sounds like it's going to be more pain than it's worth going through then just you know it's okay to say no but i'm also saying it from the perspective of being 13 years into this whereas 13 years ago i'd say yes to everything because any chance that i could get to get my name out there or to get the idea that i do these pizza tours 
because you need to get people to sign up if you want to stay in business. So, <laughs> so I think that my answer has probably changed over time. But I'll stick with that first thing. I'll stick with my gut on this. <laughs> Trust your gut. It's important to recognize the fact that when you're starting off, the things you say yes to may be a little bit more scrappy at the beginning. Um, but as you know, as your business is less reliant on you generating customers, you can you can pick and choose which ones make the most sense. And I love what you said about how you you know try to do everything that you can for slice out hunger. Um, for those listening and don't know what that is, it is your pizza related nonprofit. And while I think it is pretty obvious. Um, how the pizza and fighting food insecurity go hand in hand. I just want to ask you, how did, how did just, how did slice out hunger come to be? Well, I was pretty conscious of the fact that I was starting this business in 2008 that is a food tour, which means that it, it treats food as entertainment. And I'm very cognizant of the fact that so many people cannot afford to treat food as entertainment. It's not something that's possible. And how do you reconcile that? You don't say, well, there shouldn't be a such a thing as food tours. Uh, I, I kind of think there shouldn't be such a thing as gluttonous food competitions, like, you know, pie eating competitions, but that's my own beef. I, I won't get involved in, um, you know, when they have like, how many slices can you eat in a row, like food eating competitions, I'm out. I'm not into it because Slice Out Hunger started as a way to uh, respect that fact that not everybody can f treat food like it's entertainment, but that the interest in food by the public, people's interested in food and in pizza in particular, can be used, that momentum can be used to generate an understanding of and uh, financing for uh, food insecurity organizations, organizations that fight food insecurity. I should clarify that. But it started off because Scott's Pizza Tours was celebrating its one-year anniversary and somebody offered me a venue to have a little party. And a couple of pizzerias offered me free pizza. And I figured, my friends all have jobs. Why am I going to give them free pizza? Let's charge a dollar per slice. And then Scott's Pizza Tours will just match that. And then the first year, I think we raised 500 bucks. And we sent it to an organization called City Harvest. They do food rescue and, what oh, food, rescue and food distribution. So that felt pretty awesome to be able to do that. And so then the next year we did it again, and then the next year we did it again. And on the 11th year, we were raising, instead of 500 bucks in a night, we were raising $75,000 in a night because we had sponsors and we had 60 pizzerias. And it's a fantasy event that turned into be one room filled with the, my favorite pizzerias in New York, all serving for a buck a slice, all the pizza makers hanging out, hugging each other, all the pizza fans hanging out and getting to see that. And in 2015, we became a 501c3. So now we're a nonprofit, tax-exempt nonprofit. We can take donations. We can take in-kind donations. And now we do work all across the United States. We've raised over $1.3 million in total. And we can do all kinds of cool stuff as, as an actual legit nonprofit, which I, I kind of end up running on the edge in my quote free time uh along with one other person and so that's that's slice out hunger slice out hunger.org
Oh my gosh. Wow. And now that you've, now that you're a 501c3, are the pizzerias donating the pizzas? Uh, and so all of that money raised just goes back to the organizations that you help out? Yeah. So the whole time it's always been donated food. But now Slice Out Hunger doesn't just mean a once a year pizza party in New York. Now Slice Out Hunger is the name of this organization. And that event is called the Dollar Pizza Party. But we also have a campaign called Slice Out Special. We've got Pizza Across America, Pop Up, Pizza Yolo Pop Up. We've got Pizza on the Pier, all these different events and campaigns, all nation, you know, some nationwide. We just participated in a Slice of Summer, which, which you helped put together. So we do all these kind of things. And the goal of Slice Out Hunger events is that all the money we raise from an event or a campaign should go to whatever beneficiary we're raising money for until the point where Slice Out Hunger can actually run our own uh, uh, pro programs. I would love to run a program that was, I don't even know, teaching kids about nutrition via pizza or something about preventing food insecurity by way of pizza. We're not at that point yet. So right now, whatever money we raise can go toward whatever beneficiary we're advertising for that event, which means that our budget is all paid for by direct donations to our general fund on our website or sponsorships by companies, pizza-related companies usually, and from our board members who either donate or encourage other people to donate on their behalf to the organization so we have a small budget. But you know all about that. You run a nonprofit. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning that side of things every day and i am excited to figure out how i match not match how i put my nonprofit um in the same room with pizza uh, because pizza excites me and so does helping others and i want to see how i can i don't know use pizza to help the children that we currently serve or the the population that we serve which is children with special needs I would love to find a way how to do that. And maybe I will take you up on the 20 minute call uh, to figure that out. <laughs> you know, we can make it a 30 minute call. I drift. Oh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> but your, or and, your organization is, it's a dance themed organization, right? It is a dance company. Yes. And all of our classes are free. We run basically, you know, donations from friends, family and events. Um, and I would love to kind of figure out a way to use pizza in that spirit to raise money to continue to you know fund program essentially and it's not as cool as uh feeding because pizza and feeding go hand in hand but i i am hopeful that it can still work what if you partnered with local pizzerias to have a theme night where your organization could put on dance performances and that 10% of the proceeds from that night's service benefit your organization. That's a great start. Well, I know, I know now might not be the time for it, but anytime you want to just brainstorm, um, I'm really good at having lots of bad ideas. So I'm, I'm up for it anytime. Hey, I am down. Thank you. Thank you for that. We are very close to time. And so I do want to ask you um maybe we have time for 
the one mistake that people can avoid in the pizza business? This is a tough one because I, I hear you ask everybody this question. And I know we just went over this about how I'm in the pizza business, but I sort of am not. So I can't give anybody any advice about running and operating a pizzeria. Besides, I will say one, I guess the only thing I could say from the customer's perspective, well, maybe it's, geez, it's not even really from the customer's perspective, but right now I'm seeing a lot of pizza makers who get really into it at home and they turn pro or they're turning pro or thinking of turning pro. And the, the big warning here is do the math, figure out what it's going to take to run a successful business. Because once you're running a pizza business, it's no longer only about being in love with making food. It now becomes about being able to pay your staff and pay your bills. So the big word of warning on the boring professional black and white side of things is do the math, make sure you can actually make this thing work. Because I'm very nervous that right now we're having all these people who became pandemic pizza people and that they're going to open all these pizzerias and they're going to be incredible and then they're going to last eight months mm. and then they're going to be gone. So I think we're looking at amazing pizza in the next year, maybe year or two. And then I'm nervous that there's going to be a huge drop off because people will get in without realizing the depth. They'll go in and say, oh, well, I saved $60,000. I'm going to put that all into opening a restaurant. And then they'll realize that they were about $300,000 short of what they should have had. Oh, Sorry if that's sad and boring, but that was, that's, no, what, that's what I think about. That was kind of heavy and real. Um, I also want to point out that you have a great talk on, you, you did a great talk at the virtual pizza expo uh, during COVID that I loved. It was like the four mistakes that you see pizzeria owners do or something like that from a con you, you prefaced it as the consumer side. It may, it may, it may have been 2019 and then they just re-recorded it for 2020. Yeah. It was, I think they just took the video and aired it for one day. I saw that I was speaking at a virtual thing and I thought, Oh no, I didn't know about this. And then I realized that it was a video, but yeah, I remember it was, I was really nervous because when I speak at pizza expo, they give me an assignment. They say, here's the title. And that year it was how I see pizzerias fail. And I froze up and I said, I don't want to go tell people how they're failing because I'm not an owner operator. I don't have that experience. I don't want to act like I do. I'm not going to fake it. But, but I, yeah, I gave that from the consumer perspective and the, the way that I, it's sort of what are my cringe moments when I go to pizzerias or when I see them online. I definitely think people need to watch that because that was definitely life-changing for me. I loved, I loved your four points. I'm going to have to watch it. I don't remember the points. It was, uh, it was, I, I have them down written on notes, but well, uh, <laughs> one of them was, uh, be careful when you expand, um, take really good photos. I think, um, yeah, there was a few, let's see. You know how it is. It's, it's these cringy things that, you know, for your listeners, it, fortunately, I think that the people who end up listening to your show are the people who care really deeply. They're the ones who want to make excellent pizza. So I don't think there's as much of a, a fear in my mind for people who I think probably listen to your show. 
But yeah, the, the those little things like, oh, I cringe so much when I see people use stock photos on Instagram to say, come and get our pizza $10 every Monday. And then they show the stock photo and it's like, oh my God, don't, send, don't do the stock photo and then message me about how you're the best pizza in the state. If you're not willing to show people a picture of your food, then you know, why, why is anybody going to want to come and try it? Right. And I, hopefully people are moving away from that culture, especially with how beautiful the pictures are on Instagram. Yeah. I think it's getting, it's getting interesting now. People are, and this is not just about taking beautiful pictures. Cause that's, you know, that's another fear in my mind is that those pizza makers who are really into making good pizza, when it comes time to, you know, do service and you have to bang out 180 pizzas and not spend 45 minutes placing pepperoni on each one. You know, you get nervous that, oh, because I know that I, I'm making only a handful of pizzas at a time. So when I'm putting up a picture of a pizza, I have the luxury of being able to spend time on it. And if, a, if somebody who owned a pizzeria would look at it and say, wow, that looks real, like a beautiful pizza, my reminder is always like, excuse me, I only made three in that <laughs> session. I didn't make 180. Yeah. That's why I'm saying everything I'm doing is in reference to that. And it's, uh, it's really easy on Instagram because people only see what you put up, you know? Just because you make good pizza on Instagram doesn't mean you're going to run a good business. Let's put it that way. And the four points, concept, development, execution, and takeoff and expansion. That sounds researched and prepared. Wow. <laughs> and I think uh, the other t talk that you did was about the, uh, the stock photos. Both stood out to my mind. Very important. Scott, you've been so gracious with your time and I, I love, 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 love hearing from you. And I just want to ask you the last question and that is what do you want to leave the audience with today? Oh, your audience is a really interesting audience because it's people who really care and want to learn from other people. And, and there's this culture that's developed around that kind of behavior because a lot of it is interaction on social media. And the big thing that I think is important to leave people with is, you know, social media incentivizes people to be or at least act like they're experts. And I think that's dangerous because it makes people afraid to be vulnerable and to admit that they don't know things. So what we talked about before with using gender neutral terms or anything like that. I think we, sometimes we paint ourselves into this corner where you feel like, oh, if you say or do the wrong thing, then you're suddenly going to be you know, making this, it's going to be so embarrassing. And I think it's to, to remember that real life is an important thing, like being aware of how the business is going to run and whether the numbers are going to work out is really important. So to remind everybody that and your guests say this every time, but it's a real important thing to remind everybody is nobody is ever going to make the perfect pizza. Nobody is ever going to be finished with learning. You look at the people who are the most important in the industry and the most vocal and the best, and there are all these people you've interviewed, and none of them would ever say that they're done. They would all say that the best pizza that they're going to ever make in their life is going to be is in their future. And I think that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind as a, 
it's sort of a constant push, which is that you're never done. You're never, it's never over. There's always, there's always the next, the next thing to work on. There's always improvement. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for your friendship, really. I, uh, I'm so lucky that you are this person in the community who are, who's honest and giving with your time and you inspire me and I'm, you inspire others, I'm sure. Um, but I just want to say you inspire me a lot and thank you. Idriv, it's a huge honor to be able to talk to you about this. And I, I really love your show and I really love listening to it. And I think it's, it's super cool what you do. And it's an important thing in the whole pizza industry. And also your audio quality is excellent. I love the production value of your show. I have to say things like that because it's true. My background is in audio production. And so I listen to podcasts all the time. And sometimes I have to stop, even though the content is good. It can't listen when there's roominess and when there's uh, sound isn't equalized, you know, uh, levels aren't equalized. So also I have to say that very boring thing for the audio audio files out there. I love the sonic quality. <laughs> so it's always getting better. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There's a lot to improve, um, but I'm happier today with it than yesterday. And I'll be happier in the future. That's exactly what i'm saying it's not we're we're always working toward we're always getting better hopefully hopefully never done i agree i know you have a busy day of pizza making ahead of you so thank you for your time thank you I, i love it and thanks for doing what you do scott thank you so so much for being on the show and for being an inspiration to us all i love your story i am thankful for your work And I can't wait to see your journey continue. To you, the listener. I hope you enjoyed hearing Scott's story. And I hope you learned a lot from him. And I hope this just encourages you to take on your passion and put more into it. Right? At the end of the day, we don't have to have a pizza tour company, a pizza restaurant, or a pizza podcast. I just want you to do what you love and do more of it because if we're all doing what we love i think we'd be a happier society for it if you found if you enjoy this episode i'd love to hear from you you can dm me on instagram and if you haven't done so already leave a rating on apple podcasts i would appreciate that so much otherwise i appreciate you till next time peace